We must live in such a way that the brokenness of life does not overtake us and consume us. We must live in such a way that we do not add to the commands of Scripture, that is legalism, and that will suck the joy out of life. And we are to live in such a way that we resist the temptation to passivity. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part nine of Where Can Meaning Be Found? Concluding Pastor Paul's nine-part series through the book of Ecclesiastes. When they attain the age that Solomon likely was when he wrote this amazing book, some people become passive, may even turn bitter. That may be the effect of living through the brokenness of life. As we can see from Solomon's writings, Nobody gets a free ride through life. Today, as we conclude our series in Ecclesiastes in a segment entitled, Living Well Under the Sun, we pray that we would all be thankful for the wisdom of God in giving us lives of significance. Moving from chapter 11, verse seven to the book's end, you'll hear Pastor Paul say this, quote, though you are willing to affirm many things about God, you may not fear him. And the question may be asked, are you truly of him? End quote. Let's ponder this question as we listen to part nine now, the conclusion of where can meaning be found? Whatever your life looks like, your responsibility before God is to embrace the life that he has given you, to live it fully and to enjoy it. Now to do this does require skill. You'll see in verse 10, Solomon says, remove vexation from your heart, put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. We must live in such a way that the brokenness of life does not overtake us and consume us. We must live in such a way that we do not add to the commands of Scripture, that is legalism, and that will suck the joy out of life. And we are to live in such a way that we resist the temptation to passivity. So many Christians today living a passive lifestyle as if somehow passivity equates to holiness. You of all people should grab life by the horns and live because you acknowledge God and you acknowledge his purposes for your life. Though you cannot fully understand them right now, you worship a sovereign and authoritative God. Therefore, the next implication is you embrace life. The fear of the Lord enables you to enjoy life. That is the first consequence we see. The second is that the fear of the Lord enables you to consider life. The fear of the Lord enables you to consider life. Verses one through eight of chapter 12. There are certain things in life that bring clarity to a man's thought life. There are certain things that bring clarity to his perspective. One of them is the creation of life. Every time dad sees that baby on the ultrasound scan, there is a certain clarity that comes to his thinking. And he starts to consider afresh what really matters in life. Another thing that brings clarity to a man's thoughts is nearness to death. When a man understands that his days are drawing to a close, folly flees. 
the world around him assumes a particular level of clarity that was not there in his youth. And what we see here is Solomon considering the fact that his days will soon be at an end. We see a poem, as it were, a metaphorical poem that depicts the reality and the inevitability of old age and death. I just want to read these words to you again. They are melancholy, they are somber, but they're so powerful. Just sit and listen to an old man talking about the inevitability of his impending death. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. The years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, the clouds return after rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. The grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed. The doors on the street are shut. The sound of the grinding is low. One rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and mourners go about the streets. The silver cord is snapped, the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, the wheel broken at the cistern, dust returns to dust, spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Solomon uses three sets of imagery to communicate the inevitability of old age. The first concerns the celestial bodies. He says the sun, the light, the moon, the stars will be darkened in apocalyptic type language. The type of language that we find elsewhere in scripture to speak about the end of all things. Solomon uses it to speak about the end of his life. This is, as it were, his personal eschatology. Notice that we see the sun being darkened, followed by the light. It's somewhat curious when you think about it. The sun is darkened, and then the light. Well, the Genesis background that we've noted a few times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes is instructive again. The other place in Scripture that we read about a light that is independent of the sun is, of course, in Genesis chapter 1. Solomon is drawing the picture here of a decreation, a personal decreation that we all must undergo. And then he begins this discourse on a house, and he notes the progressive degradation of this house. Most likely, he's taking imagery from his grand palace that he has been living in. And there is some question as he draws a picture that is metaphorical, that is depicting the old age of one man, there is some question as to just how precise a correspondence Solomon intended with each image in the house. So potentially, as he talks about the keepers of the house trembling, he's picturing the hands of an old man shaking. The strong men are now bent. The back of an old man will be bent over. The grinders are few. In your old age, you will have fewer teeth than you have now. 
denture cream will be a reality for us all. Those who look through the window are dimmed. Your sight will begin to go, and your lenses will keep getting thicker. He rises early, the body refusing to sleep in old age, and yet the song is low, there is a lack of hearing. The almond tree blossoms, well, it gives off a white blossom, possibly depicting the gray hair that comes in old age. And then the grasshopper limps along, movement is, of course, reduced, and the desires that were there in our youth fail, all of them leading to the inevitable fact that man is going to his eternal home. Now, it's hard to say just how much Solomon intended that level of correspondence, but certainly in a general way, he is painting the picture for us of a decrepit house describing the aging process that leads to death. And then the third picture is these valuable objects, the silver cord, the golden bowl, the pitcher and the wheel, all of them once upon a time performing a valuable function, now all of them broken, no longer good for use, the end of life has come. What Solomon is telling us is that every man and every woman will undergo a personal decreation, we will all grow old and die. More than that, he's not simply trying to press home the point of old age, but more than that, the inevitability of death. It is a sobering thought to think about the fact that you may not live as long as you think you will live. It is very sobering to consider the fact that you may not be here next year or five years from now. We don't all of us get to grow old. And I dare say that if you had communicated this truth to Solomon in his earlier days when he was pursuing a secular life, he would have been very frustrated at that. He was seeking meaning in the temporal things of this life. And if you communicate to him, Solomon, you may not have very many years left, that would have been a point of the utmost frustration. And yet look how he responds to it here. Verse 8, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. This is not an expression of frustration. This is not an expression of despair. Solomon is not saying this in a bitter way. Remember that vanity means fleeting. And so in a glorious reversal, he closes the book with the same phrase with which he opened the book, and yet here it's simply a full acceptance of life's brevity. Solomon is fully accepting the brevity of life. How do you arrive at such a place? Verse 1 of chapter 12, you remember your Creator. Of course, remembering here in this verse is not simply the act of mental recollection, but it is a whole body, whole self-engagement with the fact that God reigns. He made you and you depend on him. It is an exhortation to put away any notion of self-sufficiency, living as one who is wholly dependent on God, wholly submissive to God, and wholly committed to God. It is another exhortation that you would fear the Lord. And what are the benefits to fearing the Lord such that you would properly consider the brevity of life? Well, if I may make a point of application, I would say that as you consider the brevity of life, you will also consider that which is important in life. Or as you fail to consider the fleeting nature of life, then you will not be equipped to make good decisions in life. Solomon understands that the proximity of the end brings a clarity of thought. 
As we accept the brevity of life, it brings clarity to our thinking. It is a means by which we grow in wisdom and skill. It focuses the attention on that which is important. The trivial things in life show themselves for what they truly are, trivial. I see this principle played out all the time in college ministry. When a young man or a young woman really gets serious about their faith, when they really begin to fear their creator and remember who it is that made them, the very next thing that happens is a process of maturing, of growing up. You see, boys start to behave like men. Why? Because they fear the Lord and they understand they are not immortal, as so often young people believe. They start to see what really matters in life. How may I live well under the sun? The answer is that you would fear the Lord so as to consider the brevity of life. And then Solomon's third point, fear the Lord enables you to live, simply to live, verses 9 through 14. Here is where we reach Solomon's conclusion. In a reflective kind of way, speaking of himself in the third person, he tells us many things, all building up to to the conclusion of all conclusions in chapter 13. He begins by saying that he is arranged and studied and put together with great care so as to instruct these words. He tells us that he sought to find words of delight. A friend of mine told me that when he's down, he turns to the book of Ecclesiastes, which I thought was strange when I first heard it. But I fully understand what he means. Ecclesiastes tells us what life is really like. It is honest with us, and it teaches us how to live skillfully and to live well. He sought to find words of delight, and he uprightly wrote words of truth. This is scripture, inspired of God. He tells us in verse 11 that the words of the wise are like goads and nails. Now, this is important. Goads, a goad is like an ancient cattle prod that would get the farm animals in line. And then, of course, nails keep something in place. So Solomon is saying that the words of this book get us in line and then keep us in place. There is a sense in which Ecclesiastes is intended to confront you, to confront your worldview. The implication, oftentimes when we live without wisdom, we behave like farm animals and we don't make good decisions. We need a book like this to get us in line and to keep us in line. And they are given by one shepherd. Solomon was the hand that wrote these words. Ultimately, they come from God. In verse 12, he says, Beware of anything beyond this. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. Every college student's favorite verse. At the time of Solomon, wisdom literature abounded. There were books upon books upon books upon books written by sages trying to give you wisdom, how to live life well. And Solomon is saying, just be careful at trying to keep up with all of that wisdom literature. Just don't spend too much energy trying to take in all that is being offered. It is an implicit exhortation to be all the more about this book to be all the more engaged in this wisdom that comes from one shepherd. And the point is exactly the same for us today. 
Every year, millions of books are published, and most of them should not have been published. We would do all the better to be reading this one book more, because this is wisdom given by God, talking about His creation to His people. And then He goes on, and there's a sense in the text now of of emphasis and even of hurriedness, as He can't help but get to the point that He's been trying to make. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. How is it that you live well under the sun? The answer is so simple. You would fear God. Keep His commandments because you cannot do one without the other. The two go hand in hand, and this enables you to live. Now, why did I title that third point simply "live"? As you read that end of the verse, for this is the whole duty of man. It's instructive to understand that the word "duty" in the original text is not present. So, literally, it would read, "This is the whole of man." Now, the translators have added the word "duty" in order to make it more readable in English, and that's absolutely appropriate. But I want you to understand the force of this verse. The force of this verse is that you were created in order to fear God. The whole of man is to fear God and keep His commandments. God knit you together in the womb to do this. He made you in order that you would do this one thing: fear Him, humbly bend your will to His law. It speaks to creation itself when He says, "This is the whole of man." If you are not living in such a way that your life is marked by a fear of God, then you are committing folly of the highest order, because you are going against the fibre of who you are. You are going against the very thing God has made you to be. Can you see how crazy a secular life is? A secular life that rejects any binding authority of God is trying to deny who you are as a human being. Not only does a secular life suck the joy out of living. Not only does it give a false sense of immortality, such that you make foolish decisions, but above all things, it stops you from simply living life. As you live a secular life and reject the authority of God, then you will know the proverb that Solomon himself wrote, which is the way of the transgressor is hard. God has explained to you how you might live well in a broken world. And above all things, it is that you would fear Him. You would have an affectionate reverence for Him. And if you choose another way, you are going against the boundaries of creation, and you are carving out for yourself a very hard path, and one that ultimately leads to destruction. The fear of the Lord is to know joy. It is to rightly consider life, and it is above all things. To live, Lloyd Jones said of Whitfield, the 18th-century preacher, that most men existed, but Whitfield lived. If you read his biography, you get the impression that here was a man who feared the Lord, and it speaks so pointedly to the age in which we live. 
There are so many things that Solomon could have closed his book with. Above all things, love the Lord. Above all things, worship the Lord. Above all things, rejoice in the Lord. All of which he could have said and would have been valid, but he says, fear the Lord. Speaking from experience as a man who had failed to fear God, he says, son, if you want to live well under the sun, fear the Lord. Let me ask you if your life is characterized by a fear of the Lord. If your life is characterized by an affectionate reverence for the one that made you. If your life is characterized by a humble and a careful bending of your will day after day to his commands and his expectations. Is this what people know you for? If it is not, then it may be that you do not fear the Lord. And though you may assent to many things about God, and though you may be willing to affirm many things about him, you do not fear him. And the question must be asked whether you are truly of him, whether your ways are marked by an affectionate reverence towards God. And as we close our series in Ecclesiastes, a word to anyone here who does not know God in a saving way, we praise God that every week there are unbelievers amongst us. We welcome you to our church, but know this, for as long as you live outside the bounds of a saving relationship with the Lord, made possible by the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether you like it or not, you are living a life of the utmost folly. Whether you like it or not, your life truly is meaningless and you are headed towards destruction. It is the hardest path a man can choose. If you do not know God savingly, then you do not fear him in the way that Solomon exhorts us to fear him. And I want to plead with you that you would speak to someone this evening. Before you leave this place, speak to someone about Jesus Christ. Learn how it is you may come into a relationship with the almighty God. And then you would cultivate a fear of him that leads to a life of joy, a life of meaning that you would truly, as never before, live life. Let's pray. Our Father, we do give you thanks for the message of Ecclesiastes, not that nothing matters, but that everything matters. We stand before you this evening acknowledging your authority, your sovereignty, your lordship over our lives. Please give us hearts that fear you, we love you, we worship you, we give you thanks in the name of Christ. Amen. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. At the close of his book, King Solomon advised his readers to fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Pastor Paul said this, quote, The question may be asked whether you are truly of him, are your ways marked by an affectionate reverence towards God?" End quote. Solomon left a legacy of hope for us in saying this, 
I must embrace God and walk with Him the rest of my days. As we close, we pray this is your commitment. If you'd like to hear this message or any message in this nine-part series again, we have it ready for you on our website, timelesstruthtoday.org, timelesstruthtoday.org. On the homepage, select Broadcasts for our complete audio archive of these and other messages. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twist, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. Listen tomorrow as we begin a new series with part one of Pursuing a Larger View of Christ. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today.